Fake blood, vacant stares and, let's be honest, some pretty shoddy acting became the hallmarks of what the tabloids quickly dubbed the Video Nasty. Video Nasties was a term coined by uh, Mary Whitehouse, head of the uh, National Viewers and Listeners Association, and she um, took against a whole bunch of movies that became available in the early 80s on video at a time when um, things were unlicensed, unrated. There was a, a market for um, all sorts of films because the video recorder was a new piece of kit and people had their machines, but they didn't necessarily have the films to, to watch on them. He drew up a list of 80 films that were so-called video nasties and would be prosecuted uh, come what may. The police have raided many video shops in the past months. In this North London shop, for instance, they took away the so-called nasty videos, but they left behind the cassette boxes. The attached wrappings say simply not to be seen by those of nervous disposition. There were surveys done of schoolchildren to see how many of these titles they had actually seen. And one of the, the famous examples included several made-up movie titles. These films did not exist. But over 50% of the kids who were asked said they had seen those movies. My parents sent me to bed early one night because they had a video called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And already, you know, you're a kid, like eight, nine years old, it's like, that sounds brilliant, can I have some of that? They said, no, you must never see this video. We got the Long Good Friday and the Exterminator as our first videos, and I wasn't supposed to be allowed to see the Exterminator, but obviously I got up really early after my parents were still in bed, and I watched it, and the, the finale was dropping this man into a mincing machine, and he got minced, that was the way he was executed, and I was like, <laughs> this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. If anyone can stand up and defend the sort of horrific scenes that I have had to see and other members of Parliament have had to see, I believe they're living in a different world to that world that I live in. I believe that uh, research is taking place and it will show that these films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. It goes far too far. He brought you up to be a pagan. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about and formally decreed podcast nasty. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Big, exciting announcement this week. I think this is the biggest announcement easily we've ever made on Speak All Evil. Bigger than Spose. No disrespect. I love you, Ryan. <laughs> Speak All Evil is the first official sponsor of the fifth annual Salem Horror Fest. We <laughs> Salem, Mass, the first two weekends of October. This is two weekends in a row. Big deal. We're going to be talking about it uh, at length, I am sure, over the coming weeks and months. So I'm not going to dwell on it, but I am very, very excited. This is an amazing festival, and we are very, very happy to be involved. Go to SalemHorror.com and check out more. Um, they have a lot of great deals on tickets and passes right now. Prices are going to go up August 1st. So if you go to SalemHorror.com, you can get in there now and get a great deal uh, you can also volunteer if you're in the area and you want to be involved in the festival. There's a form right on their website where you can sign up to help out if that's something that you're into. Relatedly, they have a, a George Romero program this year. The George Romero Foundation from Pittsburgh is going to be pulling up stakes and bringing a program to the Salem Horror Fest. We have a George Romero screening here locally in the greater Portland area, the amusement park which was uh, recently discovered and restored after 46 years, is going to be screened for free at Bunker Brewing in Portland, Maine. This is brought to you by Space Gallery. The amusement park I have not seen, but it's been a big deal. It's been on Shutter now for, uh, I don't know, a month maybe. Have any of you guys seen that yet? Mm -mm. I haven't checked it out. No. It looks amazing. Um, they're going to be showing that at Salem Horror Fest, but you can also see it here in Portland, Maine on Wednesday July 28th at 8 p.m. at Bunker Brewing for free. Go to space538.org 
to learn more about that. And finally, just a quick programming note. We talked about St. Maud a few weeks back, uh, which was available at the time only on a pretty obscure site that is so obscure I don't even remember. St. Maud is now on Hulu, and I know I can speak for Kevin and Dave when we I uh, say we highly recommend checking out St. Maud on Hulu. This week, British horror. And it. We've We've talked. Can I get a bully? <laughs> Dave, well, Dave you, you, left, you left me hanging there. <laughs> i got to do my own. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, we talked about several British horror films, uh, a number of uh, over the past year and a half. But we Oi. were inspired. Uh, yeah, yeah. We were inspired by the first movie that we're going to talk about this week, Censor, to do a dedicated British horror episode. Dave, tell us about Censor. It's about this bird who reviews the movies and has to cut out all the bad shit, in it? Oh, my God. Uh, I can only do, like, the really rude, rude boy. <laughs> That's the only impression I, I have. No, I like, um, one, one of my favorite impressions of yours, Dave, is when you do the British, the old, like, throat-clearing British guy. Oh, That's, right. The, 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 the proper... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah. I love that guy. <laughs> well, uh, censor. Uh, it reminds me of us because we put ourselves to like crazy extremes and horror. And it's about. Uh, it's directed by Prano Bailey Bond. It's a 2021 film. Uh, first time director. Uh, stars Niam Algar as Enid. Uh, who uh, during the video nasties in the 80s, which was uh, there was an influx of videotape movies that were kind of under the radar and they didn't get rated uh, by the MPAA or whatever, the British, whatever. So they started this thing fighting against the, the, the video nasties in, in England. And they had this whole board of people who would censor movies and reject them or cut them down and edit them to something a little bit more digestible uh, for the public because they thought there was some kind of correlation between people being violent and killing people and the movies they were watching and the movies they're being exposed to and, uh, you know, I'm sure heavy metal music and video games, anything they could find, a scapegoat. So this is an actual thing that happened. This movie is about one of those censors uh, who has to endure the most hardcore extreme movies and kind of sort through all this stuff all day long. Um, but it's mostly about the trauma of her uh, experience with her sister when they were young. And her sister's been missing for a long time. And she's been on this uh, quest to try to find her sister or find out what happened. Uh, it's very open-ended and she's looking for closure. Uh, so she's kind of unraveling mentally and also getting exposed to this fiction that's, it's like the movies we often talk about that you wonder if part of it's real, like, you know, the cannibal corpses and the, the, whatever the movies with the folklore behind it, that this is so raw that somehow maybe this is real. So it goes through this mind fuck of hers while she's going through this uh, trauma of her sister and she's watching these films and she's getting to know some of the people that make the films and it has a real like 80s chic but it makes like the the cheesy 80s stuff actually look scary and I would like to throw it out there the beast man should be daddy of the week. I mean, I know that's not really, my, but I just love beast man. Um, what did you guys think? I love censor so much. Censor is not only my favorite movie so far of 2021. It might be my favorite movie of 2020. I don't know. It's giving the lodge a run for its money. I wow. adore this movie. I just, I'm so into it. I can't believe this is a, a first time feature director this movie the first thing i thought was that this is us you have the character enid who is the censor in question and and her whole uh 
cadre of co-workers, all they do is they're given like the worst, most explicit, violent, horrific stuff out there. And they have to sit there and watch it all. And they have to catalog like every single thing that happens in the movie and decide like what passes and what needs to be cut and how much of it needs to be cut. Like right away you show her, she's like, you know, the eye, the eye gouging scene has to go. Uh, the decapitation is fine. That's cartoonish, but uh, no eye gouge. Uh, I left in the tug of war with the intestines. That's fine. Uh, the screwdriver stuff, good enough. I, I, it was like so much us. And then there's a whole subplot that starts happening later in the movie where the unthinkable fear comes to life, where somebody sees a movie, a video nasty, and they... Uh, go out and kill a bunch of people. The amnesiac killer claims that he doesn't remember his crimes, and it was a movie that Enid herself gave the okay to. So she's drawn into, very personally, drawn into this crazy idea that if somebody sees something in a movie, they're going to go out and kill someone, which was a, a common idea in the 80s. Like, people don't really remember, I think now, that this was a constant raging thing, like whether it's uh, Ozzy Osbourne or whether it's a movie, the PMRC, the Video Nasties thing, everybody's worried that somebody was going to hear something or see something and suddenly go out and become an axe murderer or they're going to start uh, having lots of promiscuous uh, sex and start doing drugs and everything else or worship Satan, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. That kind of got settled, I feel like, over, over time. That, that's not really a thing. It hasn't really been a thing in a long time, but it was a very big thing. And I think that eventually, you know, it was like, all right, well, it's been 20 years since the Driller Killer was released and it didn't inspire a wave, you know, it didn't inspire a generation of drill murderers or anything. Uh, Ozzy's doing a reality show now. Uh, you know, he, he, there was no cult ever happened. His listeners never decided to eat bats and stuff like that. So it kind of like went by the wayside. And now people police other things. Um, I just, I can't get enough. And the other thing that reminded me uh, of us about this movie is that as Enid sort of gets sucked into this kind of um, this mishmash of like the movies that she's watching and the trauma, the personal trauma that she has endured and stuff in her life. And then the, the whole thing where she has passed this movie that becomes like a firestorm that uh, inspired a killer, you know, supposedly. Um, I really, it reminded me of us where she gets into this like kind of obsessive mode and she wants to track down this movie. She goes to the video store <laughs> and she's like, she's talking to the guy. It's like a drug deal. Like, I know you have, I know you have this movie and he's like trying to play it off and she like blackmails him to get the movie in a brown paper bag because they could get busted for this. So that kind of reminded me of us like always looking for the most hardcore stuff. We were taught, we we're always like looking for things that we can't find online, whether it be Necromantic, the German movie or Salo, the other German movie. Or There's a lot of German <laughs> movies. They're not that easy to get and I want to see them. So that reminded Germans. me of us too. Um, I could talk about this all night. Kevin, what did you think? Well, um, I'm going to have to disagree with you guys. I really didn't like this. <gasps> oh, my God. No, you nah, didn't. I'm just kidding. I bought okay. this shit. Just based on Dave's like, early texts of, like, I just watched Censor, here's my take, and then Trent, you, I think you sent a text that was like, I'm like halfway through Censor, and I feel like I'm fucking tripping. I was like, I'm late <laughs> to the party. I pulled it up on Prime. I was like, it's like seven bucks to rent it or, like, 13 or 14 bucks to buy it. And I was like, I trust you guys. I will now purchase this movie. I've watched mm. it like three and a half nice. times. It's amazing. Nice. It's easily the best movie that I've watched in 2021. Easily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It blows my mind that it's 84 minutes long. That's yes. a lot packed in. This is a brisk mm. watch, but it makes you, this film attacks your senses and it makes you feel like you were sitting there watching it for like two hours. And I'm not saying that in the bad in a bad way. I'm the guy that's like, come on, don't make me sit for two hours. But it was 84 minutes, and I was exhausted. Like, there's so much to take in. I, I always say this as well, but this is a two-watch at minimum. It's a two-watch minimum because you're the, <laughs> like the visionary stuff and the visual stuff, the colors, like you have to pay attention to when the colors change. You have to pay attention to when the aspect ratio changes from the camera. It's telling you different parts of, of the perspective of the story. It's mm. literally letting you into the psyche of our main character, Enid, and you need to pay attention to that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, this, I couldn't recommend this more highly. 
I love everything you were just talking about, Trent and Dave, like the video nasty era. Like we've experienced, you know, so much of that, like from fucking Tipper Gore and let's put stickers on CDs to Grand Theft Auto inciting real violence. It's like, what are we going to focus on next to make pretend like this? This is the this is actually affecting our society. No, no, it's not affecting our society that's that's actually government well, i just have to can i just interject real quick and just say uh listeners at home that are listening to this and they always listen to our podcast it's good to kill people you should kill people mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll make you cool it'll mm-hmm. make you famous and yes. we'll shout you out on the podcast so what up shout out <laughs> I, I know i'm planning on it i obviously loved this movie yeah uh, come on come on four um, for four Four for four. We've been having some good weeks um, on the agreement, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, I think I could do that job now. I think I've earned my colors to be able to screen <laughs> yeah. those You're the Enid movies. of the podcast. I feel like I'm the Enid. I didn't want to say it, but I think I'm the Enid of this podcast, and I'm okay yes, with you that. Are. Yes, you um, are. Honestly, that character just might be one of my favorite characters in like any recent film that I've seen like in a long time like she's just the actress is so just like in like I was just enamored by her like I couldn't take my eyes off of her she was so good at playing that straight lace professional you know glasses with the things that keep them on the head and then just like going just to an absolute insane person like she was just my all-time favorite character um I thought the storyline was super interesting. Um, You know, I started off obviously thinking it was going to be a different way. And then it took a very different turn. And just like Kevin was saying, you know, all the different like changing colors and like the aspect ratio, like it gets very trippy, super trippy, but it starts so normal. Um, I really liked the whole like amnesia aspect of her childhood. I thought that was like interesting you know, correlation between, you know, this killer that's, you know, the horror movies are being blamed for, but she can't remember her childhood and her childhood trauma. So that part was interesting to me as well. All that PTSD brain shit is always something that, you know, is a little spooky to me. Um, I still really want to know what happened to her sister, though. Like, I feel like we were kind of left in the left in the dust on that one. But nope. No, we I weren't. I think I know. Mm. All right. Well, we'll get oh, to that. Oh, we got theories. I don't have. I I need to watch it like four more times. I should have just bought it. I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't have spent I know, seven. Me too. I should have just spent fourteen. Um, but I just love the whole vibe. Like I love the mute colors at the beginning, and then all the color changing. Um, obviously, I thought the whole you know people kill people because of horror movies and ripping faces off. Like that's always a nice touch to throw in somewhere and make a plot line about. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just really loved watching Enid's Descent into Madness, and it really just reminds me of me uh, going into the horror movies for this podcast. So I felt personally connected to her. I don't know if that's a good thing, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Let's hope you don't end up where she did. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll find out. I'm going to start watching you more closely, Kat. <laughs> There was so well, much to personally relate to this. Go ahead. I was just going to say that there's so much like 80s uh, like vibe in horror right now, like everywhere, like every Shutter movie, all the new Netflix stuff. It's all this like 80s throwback. But this is like highbrow 80s. And I don't even know how they do it. It like stays super dark and super disturbing. And even when it gets very goofy. There's some parts that are like so goofy and so like an homage to the 80s, but it doesn't extract you from still being like scared like that 80s stuff does. The 80s stuff makes you kind of like laugh it off and it's funny, but they do like very primitive practical effects to great effect in mm-hmm. this. 
Mm. Yeah, that, that there's so much to relate to in this, I feel like, at least for me. And that was the first thing. Like, it kind of opens up with, like, one of the movies that Enid is uh, tasked with censoring. And right away, I'm like, oh, my God. This is, mm-hmm. like, me at 12 years old. I'm, this is 80s horror. It's going to show me lots of this. Like, I'm in. And then I loved um, the scene where she's with her parents shortly after that. And it's kind of setting up her family story. She's having lunch with her parents. And her mom says to her, uh, how's working? Had seen anything you'd recommend? And like, <laughs> it's like, not really. That, again, you know, I felt like that was a very personal experience. Like, uh, like, uh, how, where can I listen to your podcast? Um, no, you know, don't. Uh, well, <laughs> it's almost like Cronenberg meets Wes Anderson. Oh. It, wow. it, it was very, like, poignantly, like, dark comedy. You could definitely like throw that in there, but oh, Trent, yeah. it reminded me of last week when you were talking about your whole like script writing research, and you were like time of the tale versus like time of the story, or whatever it is. I don't know how a a first time feature for uh, Prano Bailey Bonds she nailed yeah. that. Like she oh, covered a ton of time very cleverly yeah. in eighty four minutes. And yeah, it really incredible. leaves you sitting there at the end kind of confused, but definitely wanting to go watch it again to understand, like, what kind of time frame are you covering here? And you did it, like, literally under 90 minutes, which is, like, the magic mark for a horror movie. Right. Yeah, I liked when uh, when Enid sits down with her co-worker, because they, they seem to watch these movies in pairs, and so they kind of both usually sign off on them, but... I just loved all the little comedic things, like when they sit down at one point and her coworker says, what masterpiece are we dissecting? You know, like they're just like, this is what they do. They watch the like the worst stuff imaginable. She also reminded me, Enid reminded me quite a bit of Christine Chubbuck, or at least the portrayal of Christine Mm -hmm. Chubbuck in Mm. the movie Christine that we talked about. So I was getting a lot of those vibes. Well, those like... Like the the pairs, uh, one of the best scenes in the movie, and it literally, I think this sums up the movie in like four sentences. She's watching a movie with Anne, who is one of her co-censors, and Anne sits down and says, what is it with these directors? And Enid Enid answers, uh, male inadequacy, uh, revenge catharsis. And Anne says, doesn't that bother you? And Enid says, I'm just focusing on getting it right. Don't even think about anything else. That literally exactly. sums up the movie censor in four sentences. Yeah. Hey, that sums us up. I'm just trying to get it right. I'm not thinking about anything else, okay? I'm thinking about a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, not this usually. They, this movie could uh, go to the top of my list for like decades and decades if it did one move, and that move would be to release an uncut version of this that is just the most extreme shit you've ever seen ever <laughs> well it's, that would it's be amazing. easy to like it's easy to watch this like on the surface and to just be like okay so she's reviewing video nasties and her life kind of devolves into a video nasty that's exactly. like the base like base level yeah but that, it's, it's so, so much deeper than that um just like the fact that they bring in like you said trent like they sort of like sneak in her personal life thing, but they're still giving you like some good clips of work and some like good, like comedic, really dark comedic value. And then as she starts to devolve and like the whole cinematography changes, the coloring, the aspect ratios, all of that, they bring in Michael Smiley. And this is where like her descent really starts. And thank God okay, yeah. for Michael Smiley, yeah. Kill List, The Lobster, Trent, one of your favorite movies, uh, White <laughs> you, Bear, you always White Bear, me my that. favorite episode of Black Mirror. And he sort of sends her down this like rabbit hole. But the way that that uh, Bailey Bond does it is brilliant in that like she keeps you guessing like what is reality. And how that whole side story unfolds where she's kind of forced to watch this movie that reminds her of the childhood trauma that we now know she is, you know, suppressing and is hoping is not real. And how they go down that road is super. It could have been so poorly done, but they killed it. And then, like you said, throwing in like the her going in for like a drug deal in a video store, (laughs) uh, all, all of that just makes it so it keeps it grounded in reality, which a lot of horror movies don't really feel all that 
you know, necessary to do. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the, the point where her life begins to start turning into one of the video nasties that she censors. She is, um, has to watch a movie called Don't Go in the Church. Don't which go is like in the such church. such a great... I, I love- Trent texted me that <laughs> randomly. I'm like, oh my God, stop. I love that title. And, and when they sit down, when she and her coworkers sit down and uh, he says, okay, so he says, uh, oh, it's a don't go in the church. And she says, won't be many places left for us to go. And it's like, again, just so, <laughs> so funny. So she sees what she thinks looks like her sister starring in this movie, Don't Go in the Church. And that's when things really, like the line between fantasy and reality really starts to blur. The very final shot of the movie. Aww. I love how... Uh, the the videotape end just makes it this meta oh, digesting man. itself thing that uh, leaves you like thinking about that movie and that director's intentions and so good yeah so there's a lot good. of depth at a lot of different levels to this yeah. I love the ending the final scene is just like Italian chef kiss three three chef kisses I would say I think I was just <laughs> left with my mouth agape. I was just like, ha! It was just, yeah. it was so, it was just great. It was just so good. It was just so, so good. So good. It reminded me of Giallo too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yep, definitely. Um, I, I really liked. There's a there's a point in the movie where Enid starts questioning if she is like the amnesiac killer. That's the guy who has created the firestorm by saying that he watched the movie that she passed and then went on his rampage. And this now makes it into the tabloids and the media. They're all uh, clamoring for her head because she let this movie get out there and look what it did. And she starts wondering if she is like the amnesiac killer and that maybe she did something to her sister that she doesn't remember. And I love the conversation she has with her coworker where he says... You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. And that's like so powerful because we the brain is an editor. We all edit out all the time. Like just I'm gonna just cut boom boom boom. Okay, I'm gonna cut that out of there right there. Like more more importantly though, is that that the amnesiac killer never said he watched this movie. That was a media implication. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene later in the movie where Enid is like on her tear, like she is spiraling and she walks by some people in the office that are saying, oh, did you see the report that this guy admit- admitted that he'd never even seen this movie? Right, right. So another part of the tension that's building the whole time is that she's getting like prank calls from people. Well, not even prank calls. They're just calling and being like, Death threats. fucking die. I hate you. Yeah. And uh, there's also like paparazzi following her around and uh, these incredibly awkward moments with her parents where everyone's kind of trying too hard. So you have all this like tense stuff that builds with uh, all the horror elements, too. It's really cool, like very much like hereditary, like a lot of drama. Mm, that's a good call. Yeah, another another movie reminded me of that we talked about uh, uh, on the uh, Irish horror episode it reminded me of Dark Song a little bit or a dark song mm-hmm. where in that movie the lead character had to go to the underground and find a guy who does the black magic in this movie Enid has to go to the underground video store and you know blackmail the guy to give her the goods the the, the black <laughs> movie then video nasty which I love the title of that too this is the second film or, or not the second but a, another film by the guy who did don't go in the church his name is Frederick North in this and he becomes this kind of shadowy character she wants to know more about because she starts to think that her missing sister might be in his movies and the title is asunder so she gets that in a brown paper back and goes on. like all the 80s stuff is so good i can't believe i'm assuming this uh, filmmaker is relatively young i just can't believe how well she nailed all that stuff mm-hmm. it's it's actually mark borsch we could have tied this <laughs> into american movie because he was making like an american movie type of vibe. mark borsch Mark Borchardt. Oi! Uh, so, so she does have she does have a bunch of short films to her name. One of which is called Nasty from 2015, and the premise ah. of that is a very similar story to Censor, but the main character is a 12 year old boy who becomes immersed in VHS horror as he uh, 
investigates the mysterious disappearance of his father. So I'm guessing wow. that this has been gestating in her mind for a very yeah. long time. And wow, she did the right so thing cool. and took a couple cracks at it and then was ready to make the feature debut and absolutely wow. knocked it out of the park. That's awesome. Oy. I love knowing that. I want to tell her, isn't it? <laughs> but Trent, like when the, you're uh, talking about like yeah. the the line about like how much the human mind can you know like edit out, that like scene, when you're thinking that scene is also like really really telling because it's with one of her coworkers who is simultaneously like flirting with her and sort of like trying to get her out for a drink. Yeah, he's asking her. He's asking oh, her out yeah. for a drink. Uh, and then there's the when she first meets Doug, Michael Smiley's character, and he's the producer of Fred, Frederick North's films and a lot of these video nasties. And he you know, obviously is being total 80s like, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace now, he is, is being completely a creep. fine yeah. now. And he says to her, yeah. you know, he says to her like I'd like to put you on film. And mm-hmm. Enid says, "I don't think I'd like seeing myself raped and cut to pieces on film and doug's response is i think the audience would yes oh, <laughs> love that guy that is, he's my favorite 80s guy his audience but also she had like the bloodthirsty uh people that were after her at the same time mm-hmm. yeah the, you know, so the, it's like her audience <laughs> yeah right exactly yeah the tabloid headline reads censors depraved video nasty habit and you know, everybody's calling for her head in real life. So it, there's just so many um, weaving levels to this movie that all kind of interconnect. Lastly, um, I loved the Apocalypse Now style horror speech that when you finally you do get to meet Frederick North and he gives this whole speech about <laughs> the, the horror, the people think I create the horror. And then he you know, starts kind of going in on Enid. There's something rotten inside you. You oh, try yeah. to fight it, but you just make things worse. You know you are evil. I am the horror. And it's oh like, man, this is so good. Cat, <laughs> I thought of you again. You, you did? <laughs> Why? Because you know you, there's evil inside you. I know. Yeah. He he well, reminded me of the guys in Sandman. In what? Sandman. In Sandman. All those uh, amateur horror filmmakers in Sandman. Do you uh, remember that movie we talked about? Oh, my God. On a I documentary. <laughs> So he's oh, kind of like that. I forgot yeah. about that. He was kind of yeah. like one of those directors. He's like pouring wax on people. Yeah, and like when Enid, when Enid shows up, like the makeup person's like, uh, yeah, no one's shown up. Uh, you don't. You look nothing yeah. like your picture. But let's just do your hair. Um, Dude, yeah. Everything in this movie is like double, double edged. You know, it's like it's keeping yeah. you like off kilter, but it's driving forth like what Bailey Bond's like true narrative is. It's really smart. And we even we even get a funny game style real life remote control appears in this movie. Yes. Which I thought was yes. another brilliant yeah. touch. Like it just goes the whole eighty was it eighty four minutes you said, Kevin? Yes. The the whole eighty four minutes, like every minute is just like jam packed. Oh man. Dude, I love got this like movie. Got like poltergeist so much. vibes. It was just awesome. It was great. It's a big one. This is a brand new movie. It's eighty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now, and it has a hundred and twenty three reviews. That's a lot of reviews for a new movie. So a lot of people are watching this and talking about it, and it's almost unanimously loved. So I think I'm I can't wait till we get to December and start debating our best of twenty twenty one list. I'd be mm-hmm. shocked if all of us weren't fighting with each other to uh to have this be our, our pick. Mm. Cause it's sensor, isn't it? <laughs> I can't. I'm not even going to try. Someone's lost that. I can do that voice either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a little Sean Connery. It's low hanging fruit, you know? It's like, All right. you, know, you can do it, but it's like. Monkey man. Keeping the British horror train rolling, this is a movie that I had not seen in 21 years. 
Wow. I had seen this as a, a very young lad, and I did not like it. I hated it. I had really visceral memories of just disliking The Wicker Man. This is the 1973 Robin Hardy-directed British film. And basically what we have is Sergeant Howie, he heads to the island of Summer Isle, which is a fictional island off the coast of Scotland. It's a private community quite reluctant to outsiders. And Howie is there to investigate a report that was sent personally to him about a missing girl. So Howie begins to slowly uncover that this community is not quite what it seems and that his being there may not quite be for the reasons he thought. So I watched it again many years later, and I love this movie. I was an idiot. If I, if I, do, if I do the math right, I think I watched this at a time when like it was like early aughts horror. And I was probably being bombarded by like Jason X and like 13 Ghosts. No offense, Kat. I'm not calling you out. And bit. just all of all of this stuff. And then I watched this 1973 musical horror movie oh. about, you know, a pagan community on an isolated island off the coast of Scotland. I did not. I was not smart enough at the time to appreciate this. I loved this the second time around. And I believe this is free on Prime right now. And so watch it Eight up while days. you can. What's that? Eight more days. Eight more well, days. By the time okay. you hear this, it'll be, yeah, less than that. So get on it. All right. I'm sure it'll pop up in other streaming things. This movie's brilliant. Uh, it's super silly. It's it's can seem like it's hard to follow at first, but in reality, it's not. Like, it's it's pretty straightforward. And honestly, the acting is is so bad, it's good at times, and it's so good that it's hard to believe that you're seeing what you're seeing at times. Like, Sergeant Howie, um, you know, played by Edward Woodward, tough name to say three times fast, um, who did show up in Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Just gives a great performance. Um, there's a ton of really weird songs, a ton of nudity, and yes. a really shocking ending that really does hold up even after all these years. I'm sure if you're a horror fan, you know about The Wicker Man. Even if you haven't seen it, you know about what happens at the end. But I'm just going to say it. I was wrong. I was dumb. This movie is brilliant. Kat, what did you think of The Wicker Man? I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to because I'd never seen it before. The only thing that I, I, I knew the gist, I think, of the storyline uh, but mostly just because of like Nicolas Cage screaming about bees. Um, I'm so glad we didn't watch the remake. I think that was probably like the best. Wait, you've I, seen the remake? I haven't. I've only oh, ever seen yeah, like me the memes from the remake of just Nicolas Cage screaming about stuff. Um, so thank God we didn't watch that. Uh, I think it's a classic for a very good reason. You obviously know something weird is happening there's something weird going on you can't really figure it out or at least i couldn't really figure it out right at first um but it's like an awesome little like mystery story i thought it was well acted because everyone is just so matter of fact towards this guy like they're so like plain speaking to him to this poor christian virgin cop who has no idea what's going on and they're just like oh yeah that no it's like a you know it's a maypole it's it's a big old penis. And he's like, what? You said, you said penis in front of the children? Like, it's just, I just <laughs> loved it. Um, obviously, I love the music. Um, the upbeat piccolos um, over everything really um, give it a, a very nice vibe that I was into. Uh, especially when they start singing, you know, their songs. And then he's saying his Jesus stuff over them while that's happening. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really also enjoyed all the, you know, nice 70s boobs and butts that we got to uh, experience. It's been a while. Um, and obviously this is mid Midsommar's uh, daddy movie. So I just loved it. Well, you know, those shanties that they, they sing, I've always found those to be a little bit sexist. A little bit? And just well, very sexist. Just a little bit. Kate, Caitlin and I have like a parody uh, where I I like slut shame her in that sort of song. 
It's like, Caitlin O'Grady, she lived by the shore. Shag 20 sailors, then shag 20 more. It's all stuff like that. <laughs> nice. And like, sometimes we like to laugh, like when, uh, you know, we have a flag of mead. Um, but I stand corrected 100% uh, that I do like horror musicals, apparently. Because Yay. this is 100% a musical, and that's part of like what makes it super great. Um, they're really like tongue in cheek, uh, weird <laughs> songs and, uh, all the rituals are, are very strange. It's very midsummer. Um, but it's, I laughed the whole way through this movie <laughs> just because of how patient the inspector is and, and how like people lie to me the way that they lie in this movie. And it makes me feel like I'm going crazy all the time. <laughs> they'll, you know, they'll just gaslight you or, or say something and later on totally contradict it and not really pretend like the other thing doesn't exist. And the whole time this guy's head is just spun around by everyone lying, like very organized, really lame lies, but everyone has the same story. And a lot of times, like even the little kids are, are doing tells about what's really happening. Um, but it's it's a really weird, quirky movie. And I think just for its originality alone and and the cinematography uh, is super beautiful. Um, I think that it just cause is like a classic. You know, it just goes down because it's so one of its kind. This is one of the greatest horror movies ever made. I am so in love with this movie. I had never seen the original 73 Wicker Man. Wow. Until now. It's always what? been a, wow. Yeah, it's always been but a you'd blind seen the spot remake? Hold on. You'd seen the remake? I had. And the, wow. the thing about the Wicker Man, the original, is that I would always like read things about it and stuff. I don't know. It just seemed like what, some old stuffy British movie from 73 with Christopher Lee. What is it? In black and white. I don't know. A bunch of old people think this is like some great horror movie, but there isn't even like a chainsaw in it that I know of. You know, I, I was like, <laughs> I <grew up> <laughs> Evil Dead. Yeah. Excuse me, sir. Ooh, it's very scary. I beg your pardon. <laughs> the Wicker Man is going to get you. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I, I pictured like, oh, the Wicker Man, he... He, he's he's haunting Parliament. Ah, scary. Uh, he, has, he has a powdered wig. Ah. So I never, I just always skipped over it. And then I made the mistake of watching the remake just like a couple of years ago. I just saw the remake with Nick Cage because I mistakenly thought that that would be funny bad and that that would be like a good time because it's so legendarily bad. I was like, ah, oh, this will be funny. I'll watch that Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage from 2006. Not funny bad, just like one of the worst things I've ever seen. So that <laughs> that didn't do it any favors at all. So I, I didn't really know what to expect coming into this week. And I feel like, man, all this time I have been missing one of the greats. I love this movie so much. Also, unfortunately, and I did mention Christopher Lee. He's amazing in this. I love Christopher oh, Lee yeah. of like all the Hammer horror films, the Hammer Dracula. He's so good in this. Lord um, of the Rings. Yeah, oh, right, Lord of the Rings. Saruman. Yeah. Saruman. Legend, R.I.P. Star um, Wars. Lots of stuff. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he hosted Saturday Night Live in the 70s one time, you know? Oh, uh, cool. And if you watch uh, interviews, Christopher Lee, um, if you watch interviews with him, he always brings that up when people ask him about if he feels typecast or, you know, if he regrets doing all the Dracula movies and this and that. He always brings up that he hosted SNL and that was the great time and he can do comedy and people now know that he can do he can do whatever he wants. He's not just Dracula. He was on SNL, for God's sake. And he always mentions John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and Gilda Ratner, like, to prove his bona fides that he's a well-rounded actor. Uh, unfortunately to um, get a little bit negative maybe for a minute. I'm going to have to take back my re my reappraisal. I'm going to reappraise my reappraisal of Midsummer after seeing this. I knew that it was a, a take on The Wicker Man, but compared to this, which we just talked about uh, an 84-minute masterpiece, this is 88 minutes. 
This is a jam power packed. The first scene in the movie, like when you set this movie up, it just starts at the start. He just arrives at the island and he's looking for a missing girl. That like the first scene, here he comes, he's coming to the island, where's the girl? And things are weird right away and it just goes straight through 88 minutes, very tight. Another one, every scene, every little thing that happens is is perfect and it keeps you right in it and it cruises by compared to what I would now characterize in, in even greater hindsight than the first or second time I watched Midsummer. Um, I would characterize that movie as more like a three-hour relationship meme that you see on Facebook or something like that. That's kind of like if you took one wow. of those memes and you made a three-hour take on the Wicker Man of it, that would be nope. Midsummer. Nope. Um, and I will also, yeah, now give me a break. This movie is a thousand, thousand times greater than that. And uh, I would take issue with this being a musical. It's not a musical. There's music it's a musical. in it. Yeah. It's a musical. It's got musicality. Robin Hardy is on record saying, hey, by the way, we're making a musical. There's a lot of music in it, yeah, for sure. But I, I wouldn't call it a musical. I don't want to There's turn anyone There's a stretch off. there in the middle where it's just people singing songs for like 50 And minutes. on that bed, there was a girl. And on that girl, there was a <laughs> oh man. My God, and from that, that man, there was song. a seed. And from that seed, there was a boy. And from that boy, there was a man. And for that man, there was a grave. And on that oh, grave, you know. there grew a tree. Oh, wow. Like, wow. Like, that's great. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that happens. And by the way, that's the second morning that Howie wakes up there. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Howie gets there, goes to bed. This movie covers two days. The innkeeper, if you want to call him that, the guy who like runs the inn and the bar and the restaurant in town, almost like, uh, I don't know, your typical small town thing. He introduces his daughter and immediately the whole bar erupts oh my in God. the shanty oh my about God. how promiscuous his daughter is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just dancing along and grinding with all the guys. And it's just this. She gets that's it. That's pretty Good much off the bat. The yeah. song's called The Landlord's Daughter. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, the landlord. I can't right. believe it. And she's like, you know, it, it's so weird because it's like the it's the worst song. And, and she's like the star of it. And she's being the star of it she's like parading around the pub Listen, while they're all when you're oh, raised she's a star in later. such a way that you're constantly sexualized by your own father oh my god i'm sure that you know she's into it you know oh, man. Yeah, and they also just they also look like they're like 10 years apart in each so there's that so she looks like bridget bardot and she's banging on a wall making a beat and singing to it naked mm. in like this like cool 1970s room. Uh, it's like, it was very kind of like Kubrick uh, in, in some spots. Yeah, or, or Jalo. That was kind of Jalo too. There's, there's, a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of boobs in this, a lot of nudity. Nice. Mm. Women stretched out on couches, banging out beats on walls. Um, <laughs> banging out beats. It's very primal. We've just gotten 20 minutes in. So like Trent said, the movie starts right where it starts. How he gets to the island. He starts meeting people. I don't know if you noticed, but like when he first gets to the island, all the men are outside greeting him. All the women are watching from inside windows. They're right. peeking outside of windows. You have like a little boat ride because how he flies in on like this like dope, you know, 70s friggin aqua plane. Uh, then you get like everything that you guys just talked about. You have Howie going to the pub. You get the landlord's daughter song. Howie has dinner. He walks into a field with a bunch of David Berkowitzes having a massive orgy yes. with various women. And uh, like literally every dude in that scene looks like David Berkowitz. Then you have the naked landlord's daughter sing a song with other people playing music and pounding on Howie's wall like you talked about, Dave. That's 20 minutes in. All of that has happened in 20 minutes. Yeah, jam-packed. I thought there was a lot of uh, currently relevant stuff in this about, like, the fake biology and the fake religion. Like, he's trying to—these people are kind of like anti-vaxxers and, and, and MAGA <laughs> chuds, and he's, like, trying to explain to them, like, no, that, that's not how biology works. That's just— You can't put a frog in like, your mouth. That's wrong. Grass is green because of, like— Chloroform, not be- because the god. Chlorophyll. You know, you s- chlorophyll. I don't know. Whatever. Or like borophyll. 
I'm not. <laughs> You're still very much in the horror realm. I've, I've got my mind on the murder I was planning. Sorry. I got, I got a, few, a few things on my plate. Uh, and the fake religion, the, the whole struggle, kind of the, the central struggle of this is that Howie is a devout Christian and these people are pagans. And so the, that's kind of the whole struggle is that they worship the, quote, old gods. And uh, that kind of reminded me like almost of some cosmic horror stuff. You know, that's always about like the old gods, they're older than your god. You know, they, the great ones were here before your god and they're going to come back. So I really liked that stuff. And I, I thought that was like pretty relevant to a lot of the stuff that goes on today. And Oh, also classic library scene. Howie has to hit the library at at, at some point and mm-hmm. do yeah. some some reading up on, on these people so he can figure out what's going on. Of course, didn't have microfiche, but close enough. Well, I I don't think micro was microfiche around in nineteen seventy. No, that's what I'm saying. They didn't have they didn't have microfiche, but that that was a library scene. Is the same thing. To tie it back to Midsummer, like Midsummer starts with like that tapestry that basically explains the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Like when you're watching oh, right. Midsummer. Right, And I thought it was interesting that at the end of The Wicker Man, you have this like prolonged, like he's not only at the library, but he's reading aloud while like the librarian is there. <laughs> and that's, and by the way, uh, that's Ingrid Pitt, who is a 70s and 80s horror icon who just asked to like come on to this, uh, onto this shoot. And he's like reading it aloud. It's basically like the audio version of Ari Aster's tapestry at the beginning of Midsummer. Like you get to like the final act and how he just reads out loud. Oh, geez. Like if I were in his situation and you guys have talked about how matter of fact he is like, I don't know that I'd be reading out loud in front of community members like (laughs) while I figure out exactly how fucked up this community is and what might be happening. Yeah, he's been investigating for two days, and the whole case is cracked just by going to the local library. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe start there next time. Wait a minute. I know what's going on. I like that the kids are all uh, complicit with everything that's going on, and it's very transparent to everyone that murder is happening, sacrifice is happening. Uh, Again, just to reiterate, you know, murder is very good. You should murder um, if you, you want can. more murder. Yeah, please. You know, you influencers out there, you really want to get your numbers up on social media. Great way to do it. Murder someone. Post a video. Everyone will share it. Just put some uh, chlorophyll on a on a on a rag and put that <laughs> on their <laughs> mouth. We we have to talk about the masks in this. The oh, masks in the Wicker Man uh, are the masks fish. in every horror movie mm-hmm. since the Wicker Man. From yep. everything from like the Strangers to even uh, one we just talked about that's now, of course, escaping me. But the the Wicker Man mask is the gold standard now for all horror movies. You have to have people in a bunch of creepy rabbit masks and shit running around. Oh, um, even the new Pet Cemetery, you have that. Like, that has lasted as an iconic horror thing to do that. Something about homemade is just scary. Definitely. Yeah, someone took their time on this. Oh, uh, Trent, what's the, what's the movie you were just thinking about with the masks? Um... Oh, it was Pet oh, Cemetery. Oh, it was the new Pet Cemetery, when the Leslie kids Vernon when the kids like... are uh, going through going to the graveyard. When no, the kids it was are going the to... one where like Barbara Crampton's in it, and the family goes up there, and then they have like the home invasion thing. Oh, uh, you're next. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it's in. That's everything. Every everyone stole from the Wicker Man. I am. Yes. I am now finding out all this time. I I didn't know that. Wow. Thinking of the remake. And knowing that, like, obviously it was Nick Cage that, that played Howie or, or if his name was even Howie in that. When I was watching this, like, first of all, Howie, Edward Woodward, looks just like Bob Odenkirk at times. And he yes. looks just like Daniel oh, yeah. Craig at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when good, I was watching it and thinking about a remake, they should have had Vincent Cassell do the role of Howie in the remake. He would have murdered that shit. I love the um, the frog scene. There's a scene where the little girl like Ugh. has has a cough or something or like a, a sore throat, and her mom uh, makes her put a live frog in her mouth to cure the cold and then spit it back out. That was again more of that like that's their like homeopathic, you know, cure. You know, don't don't get the vaccine. Just put this frog in your mouth. <laughs> Don't listen to Officer Howie. He's uh, oh. he's an uptight Christian, you know? 
He's a virgin. Until he starts drinking whiskey. I loved that scene. That's when you know that this has all gotten to Howie. He's like, go ahead, give me that glass of whiskey. And you know that it's pretty much over for him at that point. He has been corrupted. He's drinking on the job. Mr. Straight Lace, Mr. Goody Two Shoes is uh, being sucked in here. He kind of does the old timey talking, but I I like it. I, I like it a lot. I find it very endearing. Yeah, he yeah, like he talks about the degeneracy. He, he when he says degeneracy. Now listen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now look here, see? Now see then you're all raving mad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the amount of time the amount of times he like shows his stripes or like you know, like twists his body to show Literally. his like police yeah. stripes. Yeah. <laughs> but like like you were saying, like when he realizes it, there's been so many like subtle hints and there's one scene where he sees like I think it's a classroom and they have a beetle. That's just going around on a string. Oh man! Yeah. And they're watching it, and like you realize, hey Howie, that's you, bro. That that's yeah. The little girl says he just keeps going round and round until he, until he's tied right up top to the nail. Yeah, you know that that's Howie, and she the little evil little girl. It's a one scene explanation of a movie, just like we talked about in Censor. Uh, a lot of phallic symbols in this. A lot of penises. A lot of dicks. This is a uh, mm. dick heavy, heavy yeah. on the dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Just how I like it. I would call this movie titillating, and it on purpose. It's trying to titillate you. It's like because you kind of want him to succumb to what kind of seem like the the pleasures and the decadence of this island and the freedom, but he's so straight laced that there's no way he's budging. This Fair. is also an, an early example of uh, the importance of virginity in horror movies, which has be- oh, was... become another staple. Oh, yeah. Was this? I didn't understand that. Was this like 40-year-old virgin? Yeah. Wow. Kelly Clarkson. The virgin. <laughs> yeah. He, he's the original final girl. <laughs> this movie really pioneered a lot. It's like, it's like a, yeah. It, yeah. Every, every was he engaged or was midsummer? he just... He was, in, he was in, uh, he was engaged and he was saving himself for marriage. Yeah, Prop, a proper oh, right. Christian. Kevin, you, Kevin, you got any facts for us on this? I didn't really dig that deep into the um, the trivia on this one. We're taking a piss. Oh, there's a ton, so much. Um, Britt Eklund, who played Daisy, the bar owner's daughter, she was pregnant at the time and used a body double, which you can see competing stories about whether she knew that or did not know that, but her lower half would not be shown. To this day, she will actively try to not sign pictures when fans come up and try to get them, get her to sign a picture of her naked. Wow. And she'll be like, that's not are, me. Are, are you taking um, a piss? There's overdub drama with Brit and saying that she had all of her dialogue overdubbed and definitely the singing. And there, it, it's unclear about that. Also, she started dating Rod Stewart after The Wicker Man came out, and Rod Stewart actively tried to destroy every copy of The Wicker Man there was so nobody could see his girlfriend <laughs> naked. So wow. That one, I believe, out of everything. Um, for the director, for Robin Hardy, it's interesting. Like He directed four films from 1973 to 2011, and the last one was adapted from his novel Cowboys for Christ, and he renamed it The Wicker Tree. And what he was trying to do is do a Wicker Man trilogy. Right. So he started a crowdfunding campaign in 2005. He was only asking for $200,000 to finish the movie. And he did not meet that. And he actually passed away in 2016. So RIP Robin Hardy, the director of The Wicker Man. Uh, Christopher Lee, who we talked about, who has a ton. I mean, what, what, close to 300 movies? Incredible. Crazy. And he will say that this is his, well, he would say, rest in peace, 2015, this is his best film he ever was a part of, his best performance that he ever did. And Christopher Lee did this movie for free and then also did all of the press tours for free. So people in, like, Wisconsin would wake up and find Christopher Lee on, like, their local access channel talking about the wicker man because he believed in this movie so much and that's a very established guy i mean he was running away from being dracula and yes he he seems so so cool i watched a lot of interviews with him and he seems like a total king i love that guy this is another movie like uh we talked about um shit what was the outer space movie we talked about um event horizon force i'm sorry event horizon we talked about event horizon 
and we talked about how like there's like some crazy director's cut out there that the footage has been lost. The Wicker Man is legendary in that it was supposed to be close to two hours long. There's a rumored director's cut out there that's 100 minutes long, and that one was only saved because... Of course, Roger Corman's going to come into this conversation. Roger Corman got a copy of like the 100-minute uh, version, and he saved it. So there's so many different versions of this movie out there. Like, like we, we didn't talk about this, but the studio people hated this movie. They did not want it to come out. They wanted to bury the Wicker Man. In fact, when it was released, it was released as like a B-side of a double feature, which at the mm. time, that had gone away. So... The Wicker Man was totally disrespected uh, upon release. Uh, There's a lot to look up on this movie. It's very easy to find. I did not do any heavy digging. Um, But I will say I made a comment earlier about David Berkowitz's having an orgy in a field. (laughs) And one thing that I love as a true crime buff, I think, Kat, you'll enjoy this. New York detectives screened this movie as part of their investigation into The Son of Sam. Because one of the letters that Son of Sam sent them referred to a wicked King Wicker. And if you want to know more about that right now on Netflix and just check out your podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, it's Searching for the Sons of Sam. It's a limited series on Netflix and a whole podcast series. And it talks about how they think the Son of Sam was not just David Berkowitz. It was a cult. I feel like uh, the whole time, like this always comes up when we do movies from other countries and everything, but you guys have been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. I'm pretty sure that it's Wicked Man. In it. 